Trigger warning, the Resilience Project provides an open space for people to share their personal experiences. Some content in this podcast may include topics that you may find difficult. The listener's discretion is advised. Hello, friends. Welcome to Radical Resilience, a weekly show where I, Blair Kaplan Venables, have inspirational conversations with people who have survived life's most challenging times. We all have the ability to be resilient and bounce forward from a difficult experience. And these conversations prove just that. Get ready to dive into these life-changing moments while strengthening your resilience muscle and getting raw and real. Welcome back to another episode of Radical Resilience. It's me, Blair Kaplan Venables, and today's guest is extremely special. We go way back, way, way back. And actually, I might need some clarification from Lainey <laughs> about how how far back it goes. Um, I actually grew up going to summer camp. Uh, it was like my 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 time. I had a very chaotic upbringing with my dad's addiction and like a single parent and, you know, just not like the most comfortable environment at home. And so, so when I went to my summer camp, a neighborhood Jewish community camp, it was like Blair time and it was the best time. And Lainey Rosner, who is our guest today was my camp counselor. And, you know, now, in, now in life, she's a mom, a potter, a teacher. She lives in Winnipeg, Manitoba she had endometrial cancer diagnosis in 2020 and then had a successful treatment. She continues to thrive and play with clay. She loves exploring outdoors with her pup, her baby, her hubby, and strives to live life to its um, fullest, which I love because, well, you got you got one life. And it sounds like, you know, when people go through something challenging like Lainey did, they really, you know, understand the, the importance of living every moment to its best ability. And so uh, today we're going to talk about how after she lost her mother to breast cancer when she was 20, she basically grew up expecting to get cancer and she eventually did, but it wasn't in the way that she anticipated. So we're going to talk about all things to do with Lainey, summer camp, uh, BB camp, babies, pottery, cancer. She's right here. <laughs> all the stuff. <laughs> all the stuff. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Wait. So what what was were you do you remember was it you and Marnie yes I think so um cabin nine cabin nine was it two weeks or three weeks um I think two no maybe three weeks so this is the early 90s just for everyone out there Benabreth Jewish Community Camp was like the best most magic it still is the most magical place and and I took the baby there for family weekend. I saw middle. that. And Aaron and Michael were there with their kids. Yeah. And actually I was invited to be with them, but those, I was in Croatia. I, I don't have kids and I've decided next time there's a family weekend and I'm available, like I'm not traveling. I'm going to come and just be with one of my friend's families. So do it. That, I, I did that year uh, before Edie was born. I borrowed my niece, my nine-year-old niece. I oh, that's okay. amazing. And so I'll borrow some family. Um, go hang out on the island yeah I love it so Lainey you lost your mom when you were 20 that's so hard yeah it was really difficult um yeah my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was 32 um 
the first time. So mm-hmm. I was two, three, and my brother was maybe one. Um, but she had a successful treatment then. And we talked about it. We knew that she'd had breast cancer. We knew that she only had one breast. We used to joke that it was the apple juice because I drank a lot of apple juice as a kid and ended up getting my first filling when I was like three because I drank a lot of apple juice. So we used to joke that one of my mom's breasts was for milk and the other one was for apple juice and it was the apple juice that was gone. Oh, whoops. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's weird. But anyway, so yeah, we knew that it was it was always there. You know, we didn't necessarily say cancer, but we knew that was, you know, our thing that we've had in the family. And then I guess it was 14 and a half years later, we were celebrating that, you know, you're supposed to be all clear at like 14, 15 years. And then my mom was diagnosed with a new primary in the other breast. And, um, so that was shocking. Um, and we had to, well, I, you know, as a, a child, I didn't get to participate really in decision-making, but, um, you know, my parents talked to the oncologists and there were a few options, but it sounded like that the results would be the same, whether she had a mastectomy like she did the first time or whether she had chemo and a lumpectomy, I think I'm not, I'm not completely positive. Um, but she went with the mastectomy and then it spread the next year and it was like really traumatic, obviously. <laughs> I mean, seeing somebody who's, you know, such a you know, rock in the family to get sick. And I guess that you've experienced that as well. Like it's yeah. so, um, but like my mom always had a really positive attitude throughout and really made her most of all of the days that she had um so yeah I was in university I guess at the beginning of university when it happened and everybody celebrating their 18th birthday and I'm worrying about my mom and then our 19th birthdays and I'm you know worried about going traveling but I still went because that's you have to live your life (laughs) right like it's so hard it's a balance it's like Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I had the opportunity to do some traveling around the time, like while my mom was sick. Um, and my mom and dad insisted that I go and in- embrace those experiences. So. And so when you were 20, she passed away. And did you, like, why did you expect to get cancer? Like, why was, like, walk me th- walk me and the listeners through that like thought process well losing a person to breast cancer when they're or having somebody in the family who's diagnosed with breast cancer when they're really young is a a clue that there's potential but there's a hereditary um connection um but I didn't have and there's a lot of breast cancer and ovarian cancer in my family so I guessed <laughs> that's what was that's what my future was going to be um but I didn't want to take the genetic test because I was so young and I thought what am I going to do with this information um how am I going to is it going to be is it going to make my life more positive am I going to embrace every moment or am I going to be terrified <laughs> right. um, 
funny because, well, I mean, it's not funny. I'm a teacher, like you mentioned, um, and I teach biology and English and art and sometimes psychology. I've taught a whole bunch of different things, but in biology, there's a whole genetics unit uh, in the grade 12 curriculum. And there's a section about genetic testing. And we talk about all of these hypothetical situations and I ask my students to make a decision I say if would you take the test would you not take the test how would taking it or not taking it impact your life so I remember having an appointment with my GP around that time and he said well what would you tell your students to do if they were in your situation and I think he expected me to say you know take the test you're like (laughs) I tell them to run (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's not what I did (laughs) they have to make their own decision (laughs) right um yeah so So you never took the test I did take it last year because if I had cancer like fuck sorry can I swear (laughs) yeah okay sorry so you took it last year which um and do you took it and you said you found out you had cancer or was, did you take it because you found out you had cancer or did you find out you had cancer because you took the test? I took that. Such con, so confusing, right? Okay. I took the test to find out if I have the hereditary breast cancer mutation um, because I'd had endometrial cancer and thought I'm already, I'm already facing cancer. At least if I take the test then I can do something preventative. Um, so that's sort of where I am, where I'm prepared to do something preventative because if, I don't know. Wait, let's back that up for a second. Back up. Okay. So we're backing up far. How far to 2020? Yeah. When you learned you had, okay. So from when you were 20, you decided, you know, you're going to get cancer one day, but it showed up not in your breasts. Correct. And So, so 2020 comes around. Okay. So my husband and I met in 2016 got married at the end of 2017 like we're older (laughs) and and we wanted to have some fun first even though we're like in our 40s um and then we finally decided okay let's do this let's try not to not get pregnant (laughs) (laughs) and it happened so we decided to try the fertility route because you know because of maternal age I wanted to try to make sure that we could produce a healthy embryo um so we went to the fertility clinic did a round of IVF and I think we started with like 17 eggs and we chose to get genetic testing done on them on the embryos um I don't remember how many there were maybe nine and none of them were good so we found out after one round that there weren't any good embryos this was New Year's Eve 2019 that's an awesome start to the next year um and then we decided okay let's try again because of you know my age and statistically there was hope that there would be a good one um so we did another round the next summer and we had one good embryo so that and that's Edie Sue (laughs) is that Edie oh that's Edie that was the only chance it's just a good embryo. Yeah, she was a good embryo. I have a beautiful picture of the embryo too. So you had, so you had a good embryo. Um, had a good embryo. We were prepping my body with the hormones to do the frozen embryo transfer. This was in November, 2021. 
and I got an appointment. The doctor called to have an in-person appointment at the beginning of December. And I thought, oh my God, an in-person appointment is bad. (laughs) (laughs) I'm supposed to get a date for the transfer. Um, But on the phone, oh no, I'm lying. I'm confused. Too many appointments. This was a phone call with the fertility clinic. They were going to give me an appointment for the transfer, but the doctor called and said that I had endometrial cancer and that we weren't going to do, that I'd have to make a decision that the cancer had to be treated before even considering doing a transfer. So we'd had- Wait, wait, wait. How did they know you had that cancer? Because there was an optional test. It was a uterine biopsy. They called it a uterine receptivity test, Mm -hmm. uh, which allows you, or which allows them to determine the timing of the Mm -hmm. embryo transfer and the hormone dosage and all of that stuff that I don't know enough about. So science. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, they're the experts, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, we decided to take this optional test and they found abnormal, like totally abnormal cells, not even pre-cancer. Um, and it was full of cancer. So thank goodness it was stage one. So just in my uterus, it hadn't gone anywhere, but the cells uh, were actually low grade at that time. And they said we could treat it with hormones, um, but eventually it'd have to have a hysterectomy. So we treated with hormones and I was, you know, I gained 20 pounds and was moody and exhausted and sweaty and miserable. And then that summer, because after you're diagnosed, you're followed every three months. So that summer I was in for an appointment and they did another biopsy and found that the cells were high grade. So it's like, what the fuck? The hormones I'm taking are supposed to shrink the cancer cells but they may have made room for high-grade cells to start growing. So then suddenly a hysterectomy was urgent. And that's like the opposite of what you want when you're trying to have a baby. Yeah, well, where was Edie Sue this whole time? <laughs> sitting off in a fridge? Sitting off in a freezer, yeah. Oh, freezer. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, so I guess when I, was, when I had the, the initial diagnosis, I waited a little while and then I texted my friends said, Hey, does anybody know of anybody who'd be open to growing a baby for me? This is the math text. Yeah. (laughs) My girlfriends, because some of my colleagues are younger and in mummy groups. And I thought Mm. maybe, maybe one of their friends isn't back at work yet. And they would be open to being pregnant again for somebody else. Um, But one of my dear friends who's my age called me that night and offered like, Like, whoa, totally wild completely unexpected so you had a friend carry Edie yes yeah and you hear all kinds of different stories about surrogacy and you hear all kinds of nightmares trying to match up with somebody or having to go international um but this was like one of my closest friends who out of her goodness out of the goodness of her heart offered to you know change her life for nine months and affect her whole family's life right so she was working and gold star absolutely so yeah and the whole family is amazing so you got a hysterectomy yes and then well, well my friend was pregnant with Edie with Edie 
girl, your story. Okay. So you lost your mom, your mom had cancer when yeah. you were three yeah. um, and then came yeah. back, died when you were 20. Yeah. You knew you had cancer, but you thought it was probably breast, refused to get tested. Yeah. And then you were trying to get yeah. pregnant. Yeah. Went down did the fertility this route. Optional thousand dollar test. It's like, thank goodness we did it. Yeah. Like that's the biggest takeaway. Otherwise it wouldn't have been found. So do you, so that test that found out you had cancer was an extra thousand dollars. Yeah. So what would have happened if you didn't like, like yeah. what, how, how come that test with a thousand dollars? Like, is it cause it was a fertility test? Yes. Just for you yeah. listening out there in not Canada, yeah. we have medical <laughs> coverage here, but not for IVF. So like, if I think I, if I go get like biopsied and stuff like that at the hospital, they don't charge us. So that's why I'm asking her about a thousand dollars. Cause us Canadians have different medical than you out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if, like, I don't know why somebody would be sent for a uterine biopsy. Mm. It just so like, okay. So what went through your mind when you learned that you had cancer? Well, it was, are you fucking kidding me? Are, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> this is not what I expected. And like that part of my life, like 2020, I mean, it sucked for everybody, right? COVID was horrible, but my, I lost my Grammy um, in mm. May and then lost her dog in September <laughs> and then got this diagnosis in December. And you were in a shit storm. It was, yeah, it was a, that's going to be my book, my book that I will write eventually, Pandemic, the Pandemic and Other Traumas, That's <laughs> what I was joking about with my friends, but I think it would be a good title. For, what is the title again? Well, it's not actually written, but if it does get written, The Pandemic and Other Traumas. Yeah. So huh? no one steal that title. It's Laney. Yeah. Mine. I have one I'm working on too, but I, I don't want to say the title out loud, but I'll tell it to you after. <laughs> I shouldn't have said it. That's okay. But you know what though? Your, your, your story, like you're writing, you're going to be in the global resilience project book number two. So people can dive into your story a bit more and, you know, it'll just like wet, wet the whistle for when your, you know, the pandemic and other traumas come out. <laughs> in my retirement. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So I can't, so wait, did your genetic testing tell you that you have the gene for breast cancer? So they tested the, like my, they took out my, it was a complete hysterectomy. So uterus, fallopian tubes and ovaries. Um, and they tested it for some, for something called Lynch syndrome, which is, I guess, connected to endometrial cancer or uterine cancer, but not connected to breast cancer. So it's a totally different, different thing. Mm, I don't yeah. know. it's and you just can't you have that sample can't you test it for the other things <laughs> yeah you know what's really interesting like just to interject first of all thank you so much for sharing all of this like that is the journey and like I in a way like I know how you were thinking because like my aunt died of ovarian cancer. My whole family got tested for the gene, but me, because I was like, oh, no one else has it. And if I get it, I don't want to know if I'm going to get it because whatever. Yeah. But then when my mom died of pancreatic cancer, she didn't even get a full biopsy, like learned she had cancer, died three weeks later, like went into the hospital, just never came out really. And they, it was just very traumatic. And I'm like, okay, so what's brewing inside me? So yeah. I'm for me, I kind of felt, I feel like that. It's not like, 
and maybe it's not cancer, but it's like not if, but when, because I also like, I'm a vintage millennial. I'm born in 85. My friend's parents are all getting sick. People that are my age and younger are getting cancer and like dying really fast. And like having my mom, my father-in-law and my dad all die in their sixties, Dave and my mom both dying from cancer, my dad from COPD and lung cancer, but that was self-inflicted from addiction. Um, really is like, okay, like instead of me sitting at the edge of my seat waiting, like, when am I going to get it? Or what am I going to get? I'm just kind of trying to live my life the best I can. So when I get that news, if I get that news, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like at least like I want to, I just want to live my life instead of just, you know, I don't know, like, it's just so crazy. Cause I can't imagine losing my mom at 20. Like, I mean, I lost my mom at 35 and I've part of me it's died. Still, it's still too young. It's, you know, when I was, I thought I was more, I was a very mature 20 year old. Oh, do you grow as soon as your, as soon as a parent dies, you grow up. Yeah. You're an adult. Yeah. And as soon as, yeah. And like, (laughs) as soon as, as soon as two parents die, you're, you're, you, you cross a new level of living, but you know, and also with the fertility, like I, I, we were struggling too. And we tried to get pregnant. We were told we probably needed like so I had to go down to a fertility clinic at the time I lived in the mountains in Pemberton and I would have had to go to Vancouver and my friends like, go get tested. Like, I want to get pregnant with you. And like, I was like, I'm just going to enjoy my summer and like, stop trying. And so then finally fall came and she's like, go get tested. Like, come on. So I called them and they're like, you need to call back when your period comes. I'm like, okay. And it just never came. And I was like, I'm pregnant, <laughs> but then I miscarried and then everyone died. So that was cool. Oh. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I've, I've been pregnant once for eight weeks. That was, that was an experience. Oh, but boy. like, it's just so f- interesting though. Like the way, like in a way you trying to get pregnant with Edie Sue saved your life. Cause you went through and found out. Yes, absolutely. So that's the silver lining. Oh, Edie Sue. So, and, and she's and like a happy baby. She's a happy little superstar. And she's named after my mom and my grandma. Is your mom Edie? Is your mom Edith? My Baba, my grandma, and my Baba were both Edith, and my mom was Susan. Oh. And she's also Shiri Shoshana. And so there are a few other names there. So one is my surrogate's name. And then Shoshana is um, means rose in Hebrew, and that's Ian's uh, grandma's name. Oh, I love it. And also... Shauna Gervich. Who do you remember her? I don't know. Oh, she was older than you. She I'll have to Google her after we record. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, is that who carried the baby? No. Shauna oh. passed away when she was 19. Sorry. Oh. So the Gerviches. Okay. I should maybe this part needs to be deleted. I don't know. No, we're not <laughs> deleting anything. Okay. So this is real. Are, yeah, fine. <laughs> our family. Um, like our, I guess our family friends were like our best friends growing up. They had a daughter and a son, like around my age, Shauna was or just a little bit younger than me. And then my brother and her brother were born on the same day and our families were super close and we did everything together. And Shauna was diagnosed with cancer. I'm not sure which one, when she was three or two or three. And it was the same time that my mom had breast cancer the first time so our families went through that together and then they were diagnosed together again um I guess in 90 
six or seven. So Shauna was 18 or 19 and my mom was 48, 47, 48, I think. So our families went through this together, even though. So you lost you know, your mom kids. and your one of your best friends around the same time. Right. Yeah. The Gerviches were in Chicago, but we still had that really close connection. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Cancer is so, you know, no one like teaches you or prepares you on like how to like get ready to grieve or like what to do when your friend or parent or sibling or someone you love dies. And like, that's part of the reason we exist, the Global Resilience Project, because we need to normalize this conversation of miscarriage, of death, of injury. Like we don't need to put on a smile and pretend everything's okay. Like one day it might feel like it's okay, and you will get through it. Like we have to, where that's what we do. We're yeah, resilient, yeah, but too. yeah. Um, it's so like, I don't know. Can, and it's interesting with cancer, like maybe now cause social media is out there and you can see what everyone's doing and you can see like, not just like when your friends get sick, but like when they post that a friend of a friend gets sick, you know, you can just kind of see it out there. It's just more visible, I think, but also maybe I'm just more aware because I'm sober and like, I find that since I've been sober, I'm just paying more attention. Like I pay a lot of attention um, and I'm spending a lot of time in having conversations like this with you, but with people who've gone through stuff and we are the walking wounded. We are the, we come into this world and we experience the highs and the lows. And some of us have a lot lower lows than others. And you know what? We need to be there for each other because we don't have to go through this alone. And I think it's really beautiful that, you know, Edie Sue's named after your mom and your friend and your babas, your grandmas, you know, in the Jewish religion. So Lainey and I, like, and we met at Jewish summer camp. She was my camp counselor. She's Jewish. I'm Jewish. Um, and it's a tradition to name, you know, a baby after a deceased family member. And I don't know if you know this story, but right before my mom died, we probably don't know this story, but, um, but, but right before my mom died, she was like sleeping, like literally two days before she died. And she like opened her eyes and looks at me and she goes, so Blair, what are you going to name your daughter? But at this time I knew I wasn't going to have kids because as soon as I knew my mom was going to die, the idea of being a mom died with her, like a traditional, in the traditional sense of being a mom. So I'm like, told her, okay, I'm going to name her Sharon. <laughs> like, I don't know what else to say to my dying mom. And I was like, so then one day I had this idea. I'm like, okay, well, one day I'm going to get a kitten and I'm going to name the kitten Frey because my mom's Hebrew name was Freda. <laughs> and so in November, I bought a little ragdoll kitten and I named him Frey. So my mom's namesake is a ragdoll cat. That is so sweet. It still works. <laughs> You know what? If you met this cat, it makes so much sense. Okay. We could talk forever. So how are you doing today? Are you in remission? Are you cancer-free? Uh, yes. Yeah. Cancer-free. Cancer -free. Feeling good. Yeah. Amazing. So. And, and you're, you make pottery and you, you have a pottery show coming up. So if you're in Winnipeg, um, first of all, Lainey and I are talking about maybe doing some sort of collaboration, but regardless, first of all, you need to go check out this pottery show. If you're in the Winnipeg zone, um, it's the 17th of August. I'll put a link in the show notes. And if this is way after August and you have no, or you're nowhere near Winnipeg, you should check her out. How can people find you? What's your Instagram handle? It's fired up pottery WPG. It's that will also be in the show notes. Yeah. Fired up pottery. She's really talented. She's really Thank talented. You, yeah. And I, it's cool that we've reconnected. Um, you've gone through a lot, losing your mom, having cancer yourself, you know, the surgery, having a friend surrogate. What advice 
do you have for someone who's going through any of these situations or all of them or has a similar story? Well, I think focusing on the present, being in the moment, taking deep breaths, getting outside. You know, those are all really important things. Take care of yourself physically, emotionally, and um, mentally, you know, however, whatever that means to you. Um, But my mom's favorite saying, which is in my story is enjoy life. It's on a dress rehearsal. And I've really tried to live that because you don't know, you don't know what the future will bring. So enjoy each moment, um, whatever that means to you. Oh, I love that. I love that. Do you have that quote written out somewhere? Yep. <laughs> is it on a piece of pottery on a mug? It, that could be a sweet mug. It, and it is, yeah. <laughs> um, it reminds me of the Red Hot Chili Peppers song, like Can't Stop. Like one of the last lines is, um, this life is more than just a read through. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I know that. that was... <laughs> yeah, like that's like one of my favorite lyrics from them. Yeah, it's, it's so beautiful. I, I love it. So go check out her pottery. Um, go check out her show if you're in Winnipeg. I'm assuming a lot of you Winnipeggers are going to listen to this because hopefully Lainey shares it with her friends, but I'm going to share it too. And, um, you know, I appreciate all of you for tuning in and thank you so much for coming on as a guest. Thanks for having me. It was chatting with you. So fun. And, you know, life is hard, (laughs) but it's also beautiful. And we don't have to go through it alone. That's why we exist. The Global Resilience Project is currently working on our second book. Lainey's in it. I'm in it. A whole bunch of other people who've been on this podcast are in it. A bunch of interviews coming up are in it. And we still have some space for stories. So if you've overcome a challenge and you want to share your story which can help someone else navigate their challenge and it can help you heal. We want to hear from you. You can click a link in the show notes or you can reach out to me, Blair at BlairKaplan.ca. You know, we're, we're here to help you be resilient. The Global Resilience Project is a community and safe space for you to share your story. And it's a container for big feelings, you know, um, sometimes it's really lonely when you're like it, you know, your rock bottom, but it doesn't have to be. We'll hold your hand. We are that lighthouse in the storm And, you know, it's okay to not be okay because friends, just remember, you are resilient. That's a wrap for another episode of Radical Resilience. Do you feel inspired by this episode? You can subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player and connect with us to join the conversation at IamResilient.info. Remember, it's okay to not be okay. And you, my friend, are resilient. Radical Resilience is a podcast created by The Resilience Project.